Welcome to the Digging Deeper Podcast. I'm Stacey Martin, and I'm glad you're here. We are kicking off a brand new series called Margins, and I am joined by our lead pastor of direction, Jason Smith. This is your first podcast as our lead pastor of direction. It is, which is both exhilarating and terribly frightening at the same time. Well, you, I, I'm excited you're here. This is just, you. you kicked off this series, and I'm really excited to learn more and hear just about like why we decided that margins was what we needed right now. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about this series. Well, I think um, it doesn't take a whole lot of looking around to know that we live in a time, in a culture, and we live in a way that leaves like no extra for for anything, really. I mean, I think um, whether it's, and I cited a study this weekend by the American Psychological Association about anxiety, whether it's that, or just your anecdotal, like, I can't have a conversation with my neighbor because I'm always running in or out, you know? Um, no matter what, there's evidence all around us that we need space. And I think what we're hoping to get out of this series is not just you know, kind of a practical self-help, how do we get space? But there is a deeper reason of why we don't have it and why we don't make it and why, honestly, I think we're afraid of it that we're going to try to dig into over the next few weeks. Well, I love that you said that this series was about creating space to respond to the dreams that God gives us and the opportunities he puts in front of us. Because I think I think we, we think about margin as just being scheduling, right? Like, right. gosh, I just don't have enough space, enough white space. And I love the example that you showed of a book without the margins of what it looks like when the words run, that's overwhelming. But it's not just about scheduling. It's about making space for the dreams God gives us and having space to respond to opportunities. What do you think are the symptoms of a life that is too full? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think there are a few that are really, um, that they're symptomatic in an obvious way. And then there's a couple that I think um, are gonna surprise us. So some of the obvious ones, if you are worried a lot, um, if you feel this low level of anxiety, if you feel like you are letting people down all the time, you know, um, you're not living up to expectations. And that's not just about being a people pleaser. That can be a symptom of, look, there's, there are too many people for me to try to please or expectations to live to. I can't. I have limits. That was part of what we talked about yesterday, you know, is that part of being a human, a finite creature, is that you've got limits and we have to recognize that. So those are some of the obvious ones. You know, there's, there's fear and there's a disconnection from people. But I would say one of the other ones that I've found to be true, not just in my life but in talking to people, is indecision. When you find that you have difficulty making a decision, it may be because you are, you know, a person who wants to procrastinate or because uh, you, for whatever other reasons, you know, there may be things going on. But it really could be you are so overwhelmed that you can't allow, your brain is stopping making a new decision because it doesn't want to add anything else to what it's already trying to process. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I, I, have, I remember a time, actually 2017, the end of 2017, was such a jam-packed season for me that I actually shut down. I had no space for relationships. The idea, my mom always used this example of a cup being full. And a cup is full with stress. And you can have good stress or bad stress. But once you start overflowing, you can't even have the good stress of mm. like a birthday party or relationships or enjoying time with your kids because it's just all filling that same cup and overflowing. And I was absolutely, I couldn't make decisions. I didn't, I just wanted to be by myself. And that's not really my MO. 
Yeah, loneliness is another, that's, that's a huge one. Um, when you start to pull away and disconnect, you probably don't have enough margin. Um, so, which, and it's, it's, you know, it's our natural response of like, now I gotta try to make it. I think it's actually a survival instinct that kicks in. But if you see that happening, that should be like the, you know, service engine soon light coming on your dashboard of you need to stop and check what's going on in my life. Well, I think what's so interesting about this, because as Christians, we always talk about the abundant life. You know that, gosh, if you are abiding in Christ, you've got this relationship with God, you have this abundant life. And I think we co-opt the phrase abundance to a lot, mm-hmm. like a lot of things. What? How are we supposed to lean into this abundant life but not have all the extra stuff? That's such a great uh, way to talk about it. So um, my favorite phrase, I think this entire year, has been this, and I've, it's come up in a couple different sermons, have been used in my own personal life a lot, is that we have the same... Uh, vocabulary, but different dictionary. Mm. So this is one of those places where that's true. The abundant life is, is the one that Jesus talks about. Is not full, meaning it's full of stuff and it's from start to finish, you know, crammed. What it means is it's full of purpose. It's full of fulfillment. It's full of meaning and life, energy and rest, all of those things together. So what he's actually offering in an abundant life is the ability for us to do less and experience more. Oh, that's good. Because yeah. I think we say, I should do more to experience more. Yeah. I need to have more and do more for the kingdom to experience more. Uh, and I think that's oh. absolutely opposite of what he would say. You know, I, I said it in the sermon yesterday um, that sometimes we want to just over-spiritualize things too. And we pack everything in. And it's like, if you are not, you know, skating into heaven, like totally burned out. And I've heard people teach that before. Then you're not doing enough, which is an incredibly opposite way to talk Uh, compared to Jesus when he said, come to me, my burden is easy, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Hey, I'm going to give you rest. And we try to put on people this expectation that they should just do more and more and more. So I think Jesus literally looks at us and he was like, I'm the only one that's able to do that. Why would you think you should take my job of doing everything? I've actually prayed that prayer. Like, God, just use me up. Like, use me up till there's nothing left. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure it's the right thing. I mean, I've said that same thing. Like, gosh, I should just. I want to come into heaven just depleted and worn out because God, you've used me for all of it. And I'm not sure. I think I was making myself the Messiah. Well, I think there are two things going on there. One is there's a difference between being fully surrendered, which is the goal, and um, and fully used up, fully you know tapped. But here's the other thing: if you believe it, that heaven begins, that the kingdom begins after you die, then that's the kind of mindset you take into the way you live your life now. If you believe that the kingdom is something we are invited and capable of entering at this moment that extends, that there is a pause between when we take our last breath here and our next breath there, then you can live a life that is constantly in surrender and constantly finding margin because it doesn't ever end. You've already begun the eternal. Does that make sense? It does. Where do you personally need margin? Uh, truthfully, right now, um, and when you, you sent me this question, and I was like, God, you're going to out me in front of you know, all the people who watch. Uh, but here's the thing that I, I think, to be just totally honest, it's in friendships. Right now, our uh, Jessica and my life is full of, she's got a large family that lives here in Charlotte. 
Um, I've got family that lives far away. We've got three kids. And so just that, um, the amount of energy to, to work through those relationships and the friendships we've had for a long time, it almost feels like there's no room for any new anymore. And so give you an example. Um, we moved into, we sold a house moving into a new place recently, a new neighborhood for us. And um, we have found it really hard to find the space to even meet our neighbors yet. Just, and, and that's like part of what I'm supposed to be, you know, and I feel that, that expectation that I need to, but it's hard to find that time even now. So quick plug, we're going to be doing a series next month called The Art of Neighboring, where we're looking at how to do this. And I'm excited because I need to learn well, it. Well, I was getting ready to say that, like, gosh, you are going to be the perfect test case for how we actually live out this art of neighboring because you are in a new neighborhood, in a new context. You are just like everybody else saying, I don't have time, I don't have space. Yep. Yeah, well, I appreciate you giving that little side because I think people always assume that if you are a quote-unquote professional Christian, then you've got it all together. You have figured it out. You can just write the handbook. Jason, the lead pastor of Direction, and his wife, Jessica, you guys write the handbook on parenting, on evangelism, on neighboring, all the things, and you're just real people. We can write handbooks. They're just very short. <laughs> they ha- don't even have a full chapter. <laughs> I feel like we had, should have actually called Jessica in on that question. Like, where does where does Jason need margin? Yeah, where do you, you should have. And if you want to do like a cutaway as you're editing this to where we bring her in, like kind of a FaceTime, that's great. She, But I think she would have some of the same answers that both of us want to have more and deeper time with some of our friends. And we're just finding it hard right now. So yeah. some of it's a season of life thing and some of it is a priority thing. Yeah. Well, I was uh, I was at a conference that Andy Stanley, who is a pastor down in Georgia, that he's he does a lot of um, big leadership conferences. He's kind of a guru on leadership and different organizational things like that. But he, at one point in time in this conference, he said that being busy actually stands for buried under Satan's yoke. You know, he said a lot of times people ask you like, "Hey, how you doing?" And we feel like oh, I'm just so busy. God, yep. Like it validates us to say, I'm so busy. Life's great. I'm so busy. But it really stands for buried under Satan's yoke. Um, why do you think or how does busyness or this kind of overscheduling prevent us from living a kingdom life? I think the kingdom life at its essence is about seeing and responding to God. It's about that in in every moment that we have. It's about it with our jobs and our families. It's about it when we're worshiping together corporately in those moments that you're supposed to be seeing and responding. But it's also about it in those first moments that I wake up in the morning. That's what we're building towards. We're learning and growing in the ability to see and respond to what he's doing. When you're busy, especially when you're busy with the things that cause you worry and anxiety, what Jesus is teaching on in that Matthew 6, 33, 34 passage. When you're busy with those, you don't have the ability to see what he's doing often. It's just like when I am busy at home and uh, Charlotte, you know, my five-year-old wants me to play it. I I can realize that she said, daddy, 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 four or five times in a row before I can stop and respond. Sometimes I don't see it. The other side of that is when you're too busy, even when you see it, you can't respond to it Mm -hmm. because you have your priorities set in a way that um, you feel like what's right in front of you at that moment because it's urgent is the thing that you have to take care of. And it's so easy for us to miss incredibly large things that I think God wants to do in incredibly small moments with us. A lot of times in women's ministry, we will focus on the story of Mary and Martha and Jesus. And every time... Um, every time you started talking about margin and overscheduling and missing the important moments, that's all I could think about. And in this story, you've got two sisters. Jesus is coming to the house. Martha, the 
the sister that's probably more wired like me is bustling around. She's like she's doing all the things. She's cleaning. She's she's not sitting. And Mary Mary is sitting at Jesus's feet, just soaking. And she's like, Jesus, look at my lazy sister. I'm doing all these things to make this a nice visit for you, and my sister's doing nothing. And Jesus is like, No, no, you're missing the point. Being with me is more important than all this other stuff. And I just love that. I love that story because it really does highlight Jesus's desire for intentional relational connection outside of the busyness and the overscheduling. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's interesting that I've often wondered if Martha hadn't been doing that at some point in that story, oh, well, one, is it even a story in there? But secondly, at some point in that interaction, does Jesus or one of the other guys look around and say like, hey, Martha, we, we need some olives in here. You know, where's the hummus? Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Like someone's got to provide the food. There are things. That's and Jesus true. knows that, right? Yeah. That there are physical needs that we have to have. So I don't think what he's saying to her is stop doing things. I think in that moment, there must have been something happening that, he, that Mary was very aware of what she needed. And I think Jesus is just as much telling Martha, don't put your expectations on your sister as he is, you change what you're doing at this moment. Oh, that's good. So it's kind of a different view for- Because I think a lot of people will read that story also and say, well, I shouldn't do anything. So I'm just gonna sit in this holy contemplative state and wait for the Lord to move and not do anything else. When that's not what, I mean, we all have lives to live. It's one things. way to get real skinny. Well, that is. You never oh, eat. Well, you never eat. That's true. I would not be able to be in that level of contemplation. I would need the hummus, you know? So I think one of the things that churches struggle with is that we have these ministry calendars, okay? So we, we, we put on programs. We have things that go on for people, and they're all great. But some people may be looking at our calendar and saying, okay, gosh, I see you've got life groups and short-term groups and worship nights. How does that, how do we kind of juggle that desire to do more with the church and for the church with this idea of saying no and sitting with Jesus? Yeah. Um, I think we need, as the church, we need to be sure and careful to not make people believe that everything is for them every time. That, that's We don't do all of these things and put them all on because we expect or even believe that they fit every person in every season of life. The reason that we do uh, you know, a variety of things is because we know that you know, for you, you're a mom of two boys right now in a in tough season of life, it's busy. You're doing all those things that, that are really important to God as you raise those kids. If we somehow were to put the expectation that every time the doors are open or every time there's a new event that comes up, you should be there, I think we're doing you a disservice. I think what we do is we're offering opportunities for people to say, hey, once or twice a year, there are some things about the rhythm of your life as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, that you should engage in all the time. But some of these event-based things, once or twice a year, pick something that is really kind of meeting what you need and go in deep with that. But don't feel uh, fall prey or feel guilty about not doing everything that we offer. They're simply not designed for every person. I think you have just set somebody free. I hope so. Because, I mean, I, I suffer a little bit from that. I think just because of my, my life structure, I can't say yes to everything, but I used to. I used to feel like I had to do all the things I had to be present at all the church events because that meant that I, my trajectory, my faith momentum was really moving. 
you know, anytime I stepped back, I was really missing the point. And that's not the way it works. But I think for a lot of us, we do feel there's something about checking it off and saying, yep, I was at the women's prayer breakfast and I served that weekend and I volunteered here and I went to that worship night. That makes us feel like if we do it, then we're we're taking those steps forward in our faith. Well, so go back to, um, and, and again, I, I think for some people, the season of life is they may need more and they may have more capacity to jump in. But go back to uh, the verse we talked about yesterday, Romans 12, 1, take your physical life. And God has you exactly where you're supposed to be at this moment, from down to the neighborhood that you live in and whatever, right? Take that life and offer it to him as a sacrifice, as surrender it to him. So if what that meant is you were denying those places where you're supposed to be a mom, a wife, a neighbor, a friend, and you're saying, I don't have time for that because i got to go to this event, do you think we're actually helping you become a better follower of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that, that's, that's where there, it takes some wisdom here for us to know, like, what is God asking of me? What he's asking is to simply be open and available to respond in every moment. And sometimes we'll give you a catalyst, like a women's event or like a men's event, that will help you kind of reorient. But that's not your everyday life. Oh, that's good. I think we compartmentalize our faith lives into a faith life that's lived for the church versus a faith life that's lived within our everyday context is minute by minute. And so I love this idea of surrender because it is saying, okay, right in this moment, God, what would you have me do with this minute? Is it getting on the floor and playing with my kids or is it wiping the counters? Is it stopping and talking to the neighbor at the mailbox while we get our mail or is it rushing inside to do what I need, you know, need to get done? So I love that. I love that juxtaposition because I think that's I think that's going to be different for a lot of people is to think about how that integrates. I think so. And it comes down to a fear that we have around control, right? Oh, I mean, that's yes. really what it's pulling at is, is I don't want to surrender those moments because even if I'm doing too much, at least I'm in charge. Hmm. And so when you say, I'm going to take my hands off and leave margin for God to maybe ask me to do something different or ask me to do nothing at all because he just wants me to rest in this moment. I'm not in charge of that time anymore. So this is a control issue at its core. Oh, that really, that feels like a gut punch to me a little bit. Yeah, me too. And it's like I said, I mean, I'm, this is as much, I think any, anybody who tries to work on messages and sermons, when you're preaching, you begin by it speaking to you and working on you. Uh, and it's been doing that on me for sure already. So I hope that, that anybody who's a part of our church and is hearing this is seeing that this is not me saying, hey, this is what you guys need to go do. This is us figuring out how to do this together. But there is so much freedom in the ability to allow God to be at the center and not on the margin of our life. Well, a lot of what you talked about in Matthew 6 was that this idea of seeking first the kingdom of God and this idea that if you seek first the kingdom, there's really worry goes away. Worry about basic needs. You know, he talks about the birds of the air and all, you know, are they worried about where their next meal is going to come from? And let me handle that. So I've got kind of a hard question because I think a lot of people, I think this is where we struggle in um, a lot of Christian circles. And this is the question that I hear from my friends that are not believers that, well, what about people in developing countries? And I'd like to thank Liz Malice, who's one of our elders. She and I had coffee the other day, and she said, hey, we don't really say third world countries anymore. Mm-hmm. It's developing. So I, Liz, if you're listening, thank you for um, calling me out on that and helping me shift my vocabulary. But in developing countries. So there are believers in developing countries who don't have their basic needs met. They don't have clean water. They don't have food. But they're seeking first the kingdom. What, how does that equation work? 
Yeah, it is one of, and I knew you would ask this question. I'm glad you did because it holds all of us honest, but it is part of the honest answer is going to be, I don't know how it actually plays itself out. So here's what I can tell you. Um, I think that we take Jesus at his word and say he said that he would be responsible for giving us what we need. When you look at the rest of what he teaches, in other places he talks about, um, in Luke, he says, hey, all of these people who are following me, um, they are going to have people hate them, despise, reject them. Some of them will even be killed. And then he says, but don't worry because not a single hair on your head will perish. Literally 10 words after, he's just said, you may die for following me not a hair on your head will perish. And I think what he's trying to say in that, and if you look at all of Scripture, Paul, the same way, he talks about, I've learned to be content with everything. I have everything that I need as he's writing from prison in chains, probably not being fed super well, right? Mm -hmm. There is a part of following Jesus that means we have to orient ourselves to his and God's definition of what we need for now. Ultimately, I think we are um, we have to wrestle with this idea that sometimes what we need is for to move closer to God, even if that means I'm hungry. Now, here's the difficult part. I don't think God ever promised, and I can't find this. I don't think he ever says, I will feed all of the people in the world. I think what he says is they will be provided for by me. And then he calls us as followers of Jesus to say, you step in and do the feeding. So I think we have to take some personal responsibility on it. Um, here's the difficult part, though, is we've all known people. You don't even have to think about developing countries. You can think in our own country. Maybe somebody is not going to starve to death, and that happens. Um, it's rare in the United States, but that can happen. But there are people who are going without, and there are others of us who look around with our lives with no margin in it to meet or respond to those needs at all, and we go, God, this is on you. And I think there's a place where he looks at us and says, why did I rescue you in the first place? Don't, don't you see that this life that I've invited you into is about meeting those needs, being my, we say this word all the time, hands and feet, being the physical representation of me? And so, um, yeah, that, that's a tough way. There's a tension. Um, I was thinking about this question in Psalm 23. So a lot of people, even if you don't know the Bible, you might know this, right? 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, all that. He says, I will not be in one. I lack nothing because God's my shepherd. Okay, great. Then he goes on to say, and he's going to guide me. He will lead me in paths of righteousness. He will lead me through things. Great. If God's providing what you need and he's leading, life's going to go well. And then he says, and we repeat this, but we don't think about what it means. Even when I walk through the valley that is dark because death is upon it, the valley of the shadow of death, God is leading me without need of anything into a place of death. So what does that actually mean? And I think what we would say is he does it for his righteousness, for his name's sake. I think there's an aspect here that God is saying, you have everything that you need to bring glory to me, which is your purpose. And that could even mean your physical death. Well, talk about surrender. That is the epitome of surrender. So when we say that those who follow Jesus at great cost, and all of us pay a price for it, but the people that you mentioned in developing countries that are following him through that and then making choices that lead them to maybe actual physical death because of this, we should have so much respect and so much prayer for and care for those people because they're living that Psalm 23. It doesn't make you want to put it on a coffee cup as much anymore, does it? No, it really doesn't. Yeah. But the beauty of it is that as, his shepherd, as the shepherd, why would a shepherd lead people to a place of where death is upon them? 
it must be because there is something on the other side of that that's better. Mm. He would not lead sheep through that place unless there's green grass on the other side. So I think that's our job is in faith, we keep our eyes fixed on where he's taking us even through that dark, deep valley. Well, I love that so much of all of this is about surrender. And we talked about that a little bit before, but I love that you really hit scripture in a lot of different places in this. I think some people may have, you know, could come and be like, is this going to be self-help? You know, just time management, but you hit scripture in so many different places, Old Testament, New Testament. I love that you brought out the verses in Haggai, because that's one of those books that like, I'm actually not real sure where it is in the Bible. I know it's in the first half, but, like, I don't know where. I'm not going to be able to flip to it. I'm honestly going to the, like, table of contents. The best the part about a digital Bible is you don't have to know exactly where it is. Just click the button. Uh, or you have to learn how to spell it and search it in version. That's true. So why is it, what is it about us that makes us feel like we need more all the time? Because I think, like you said, even in a Psalm 23 context, we we have a hard time trusting God or surrendering because we need more. And that's what really those verses in Haggai hit me like a ton of bricks when you were reading them, because I think I'm like that in so many, in so many ways. Yeah. Um, so a couple things are going on in that, I think. Um, one is this idea that we, um, as, as part of being humans who are fallen, meaning that, you know, we have, uh, as a, a whole group of people, we've all chosen um, to live in rebellion against what God would say is best for us, his intentions, right? And so the process of coming to Christ, becoming a Christian, is that God rescues us from that. He says, here's the invitation to life that is everlasting, that's not only eternal, but it's also full of meaning. And here's what it means. You trust me to provide that definition of what life is supposed to be like, right? That's the first Mm -hmm. part of surrender. So then we are in this war for the rest of our time here on earth of living either according to that or according to our appetites. And appetites, I mean, you can think about this, you know this for regular physical appetites. Um, The more that you give them, the more that they want. Well, that is true of our spiritual selves. That is true of our material self. That's true of our emotional self. That just feels like the root definition of addiction almost. Well, it's exactly. Any addiction is really, uh, over time, putting something in the place of God that then uh, the basically it starts out promising, you know, to serve you, and it ends up becoming a master. That's what an addiction does. It says, let me give you the pleasure that you need. Let me give you the identity that you want. Let me give you this momentary escape that you want. I'll serve you in that way. And you do it just long enough to where the appetite is built that now it reverses and it becomes the master. And so and we you have are, to keep feeding it. And you have to keep feeding it. Or you have to figure out a way to feed something else that's stronger and more powerful. And that's not just drugs and alcohol. No. I mean, that's work. That's sex. That's relationship. That's technology, that's shopping, that's religion. Oh gosh. Talk about the schedule and feeling like you have to do all the things. Exactly. Ooh. So I think, um, the, we are constantly going to be in a place of needing to tell ourselves that more is not necessarily better. Um, and I think that's why God built into it. You know, I mentioned yesterday, um, a couple of the places in the old Testament where God builds into the culture and the rhythm of his people, these places of margin. So whether it's the Leviticus 19, talking about not harvesting to the edges of your fields, um, whether it is the Sabbath that comes up, right? That is a built-in way for us to say, I will not get or do more. I'll do less and trust God with what's different. That's even in the creation story. I mean, God worked for six days, and on the seventh, he rested. Yeah, and we don't think it's because God was, like, tired out. 
No, it's because he was designing margin from the very beginning. Absolutely. Wow. Well, so there's going to be a lot of people listening that say, I am desperate to find margin. I'm desperate. I I need that space in my life. I want to respond to the dreams God has given me. I want to respond to every opportunity. And I know that you said in this message that my first step is this prayer of surrender, but I don't even know how to do that. I don't even know how to find the margin to sit and have time with God and just say, I need help. So what does a prayer of surrender look like? What what really is their first step in this? Yes, so good. Um, so I think two comes from two standpoints, um, and they overlap at, at some point in here. One is if you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Like uh, the first surrender there is to say, okay, I am going to trust that you, what you have done, the record of life that you lived, uh, your promise that um, if I accept you, if I follow you, if I trust in you, that that is enough to give me this everlasting life you're talking about. That is against everything that is natural to a human. Again, back to the control issue. That is, uh, we sometimes I think we minimize that decision and kind of, you know, say like, well, of course you should do that. Well, it fights against what it means for you to be in control. So that's a big one. That's the first thing. But then somewhere in there, maybe even for a person who hasn't done that yet, I would, I said this yesterday, like, even if you don't buy all this Jesus stuff yet, I say try living the way that he um, designed and that he asked. So for the rest of us, <clears throat> I think this is what it looks like. Jessica and I woke up this morning. We um, got, man, it was hard. We set the alarm 15 minutes earlier so we could do this prayer, you know, be a part of it. And um, our prayer sounded like this, and it was in the dark, and it was somewhat mumbled, and I hadn't brushed my teeth yet, but um, it sounded like, okay, God, I'm giving you my calendar today. So here are all the appointments that I've got. Show up, speak in those, and like say, hey, say this, focus on this, don't do this. I'm going to trust you in that. Hey, we're about to make lunches and pack stuff for the kids, and then I'm going to drive one of them to school. If there's a conversation you want me to have in the car, um, would you just like impress that or make it happen, and I'll follow you in it. Um, we're going to be interacting with people today, you know, that at the grocery store. Uh, we're going to have some people over tonight. Like, would you give us space and help us see what it is that you want to say? It was literally going through our day and just going, I give that to you. I give that to you. I give that to you. Here's what I think is supposed to happen, but maybe you have a different idea. I'll trust yours. Um, and it's so, I'll be honest, it's so freeing. Like, we finished that time up, you know, my coffee had gotten a little cold, had to microwave it, and then started packing lunches, and I approached this morning with even a freer, more joyful, more in a place of gratitude kind of heart from a 15-minute stumbling through a prayer in my, you know, bleary-eyed first waking up Yeah, place. for me this morning, I, um, I always get up. I try to get up between 5 and 5.15 so I have some quiet time. But my my oldest son is nervous about missing the bus now. So he's up 5.25 like my little shadow. So my quiet time is not what it used to be. So today I thought as he's sitting in my closet, you know, mumbling and groaning because he's tired but he doesn't want to miss the bus. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm not going to have the special quiet time with my coffee and my candle. Like what's it going to look like today? So I, as I'm looking in the mirror and putting my makeup on, doing my hair, I just started going down my body. Like, God, I give you my brain. All the thoughts that I have today, God, they are yours. I give you my brain. God, I give you my ears. Everything that I hear today, let me hear you in it. God, I give you my eyes, my mouth, my tongue, my heartbeat, my breath, my hands, like my feet take me. I just went through my body as I'm looking at myself getting ready for the day because I thought I'm not going to have any other time to do this. 
That's like, awesome. It was so cool. And then if you ever have any body image issues, the fact that every your body is a living temple, I looked at myself differently too. Because it wasn't like, oh gosh, is this concealer going to hide my bags? It was like, gosh, there are eyes here that God wants to use to see his kingdom and people in the margins. And it was really, same thing. I, I left like, huh. That's awesome. I feel a little different than I did last Monday. Yeah, you know what came up? Jessica said this. She had just read a verse, and it was about worry or fear. And she even said, God, we give you our fear today. Like, there are things that we're worried about, you know, just like everybody. We've got our own stuff that we're worried about. And it was like, I'm giving you those worries today, God. I'm, I'm going to choose just for today. I'm not going to take them back. And I mean, so I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you at the end of the day. But even that was like, I just felt him. Um, I felt him grab those things. And it was kind of like the reminder of Jesus in Matthew 6, I got you. I've got you. Mm. Man, I love this homework. We always, it feels like we always end on homework. So for, for those of you listening, if you haven't started this prayer of surrender, start it. Start just as simple as Jason and Jessica or uh, whatever, whatever that works. Because it does, I do feel different today. Yeah. Like I feel, I feel lighter in a way that I didn't yesterday. And imagine the cumulative effect and the, the cumulative killing of that addiction to more that we all have if for the next six months we did this every single day like it's it it there's something about i'd say there's something about it it's because he's god but there's something about following what jesus says even if you don't fully understand how it works or fully trust that it will there is a promise that he always puts in that says i will meet you in your feeble attempt to do what i ask I'll go further than halfway to meet you there. Well, I think that's why God makes so much of faith a mystery, because if we knew all the details, we would micromanage the mess out of it. I would white knuckle every single part of relationship with God if there wasn't some mystery. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to give you all that because you won't trust me. You will not surrender if you know all the details. And you know what? If God's not real, you should be white knuckling at all. You have to be fighting for control. But if he is, if Jesus is who he says he is, you can release, surrender, and live with margin. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Well, would you close us in prayer? Would you, for our friends that are listening that are ready to take this step toward finding more margin for surrender, would you just, would you pray for us? Absolutely. Thank Thanks. you for this. Father, we acknowledge that you are in control. Sometimes the fact that you're in control and then that you do things that we might not choose Uh, confuses us. And so I pray that you would help us all first to be able uh, to, with a faith that we didn't muster ourselves, that we didn't work up, with a faith that you give us, we'd be able to trust that your way of whatever it is you choose to do with us, your way is better than what we would come up with. And I pray that as we do that, we would have the trust built to follow you into a next step. I pray that we would surrender our need for control to your hands that are perfectly capable in every aspect of our lives. And I pray that somebody today would be able to hear this and that they would find the opportunity and the courage to surrender their entire life to you. Lord, that's what this is all about. We trust you with it. Give us um, more trust for tomorrow than we even had today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us, everybody, and we'll see you next week as we continue in our series on margin.